Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. Today, Shoftim, Chapter 13. So today we begin a new story, and quite an amazing story, the story of Shimshon. Shimshon's story is the longest in the whole of the book of Shoftim, four chapters. It takes up 20% of the book, and it is the fullest story. Here we have a biography, a total biography from birth, from pre-birth, all the way through to adulthood, to the death of the Shofet, not just a story of a military campaign. And the story is, is larger than life. We haven't had any leader who has done miracles or had superhuman strength quite like Shimshon. Shimshon is a person who is way beyond anything that we've ever seen in this book. And this is the strange thing because Shimshon, who we're going to read about today, who it is an angel who heralds his birth, um, who is a Nazir. Nazirim are generally sacred people. What do we know about him? He he goes after women. All of his escapades are all personal. Uh, they're, they're vendettas, they're, they're revenge. And even though his Nazirut, his uh, inability to cut his hair or drink wine is, is, a, is a part of his character, he has no restraint. So this is really the most enigmatic story. And we're going to be dealing with this for four classes. So let's set sail. The story begins with two interesting features of the cycle. It says, The people continue to sin. We're going to see the plishtim um, as a formidable enemy. But now see how the book reverses. Instead of the way the book began, the land was quiet for 40 years. Now our enemies rule us for 40 years. And Shimshon will only be, as we will see in the final lines of chapter 16, will only be a Shofet for 20 years. So here we see things are inversed. The enemy for 40 years and 20 years Shimshon is in control. And we don't even know how much of this time Shimshon is really in control, seeing that the story begins with his birth and, you know, very soon uh, into adulthood he seems to be put to death. So, interesting. The second thing is that the people, this is the only story where the people don't cry out to God. In all the other stories, the people have cried out for God. At a certain point, God has responded and said, go, go speak to the other gods. But we see no crying out to God in this story, even though this is the longest control by a foreign power. So what can all this mean? Let's begin the story. We'll talk about Shevet Dan soon, but it's an area of Tzora, which is right near today's Bet Shemesh, from the tribe of Dan. Here we see a case of a barren woman, a woman who has no children. In two phrases are used, just like Sarah. And an angel comes and says, you're going to have a child again, just like Sarah. So this would lead us to think that this child is going to be exceedingly special and holy, maybe like Shmuel, um, 
who serves God, like uh, Yitzchak, who becomes one of the Avot, uh, we're expecting something like that. And now he adds something. Be very, very careful. Don't drink any wine and don't eat anything tamay, ritually impure, because you're going to have a child and this child will not be allowed to cut his hair. He will be a Nazir Elohim, a Nazarite to God. Minabaten, from birth. Interesting ambivalent phrase. He will begin, he will begin to save Israel from the Philistines. Begin? Will he finish? What does it mean? The requirement that she not eat any impure food is really interesting. Because usually Nazir has three restrictions. Number one, he doesn't drink wine. Number two, he doesn't cut his hair. And number three, he doesn't come into contact with the dead. Now, Shimshon's going to come into the contact, contact with the dead quite a lot because he's going to kill rather a lot of people. So some people want to say that he's really got only two restrictions, not cutting his hair, not drinking wine. And the Tamei bit is really taken on by his mother, which is an interesting detail. She goes back to her husband and now the story takes on a little bit of a parody because she turns around and instead of saying that an angel appeared to her, to him, to her, she says that it's an Ish Elohim, which usually means a prophet. She also ignores the fact that, um, that the line which says that he will save Israel from the Philistines. Now, this is where uh, the commentators kick in and say, why didn't she mention it? Why didn't she say that he will save Israel? According to the Barbanel, she was almost scared. She was scared of the Philistines, that there would be somebody listening. Uriel Simon, on the other hand, says something really different. And she said she actually misses out the critical bit because the whole idea is that he's being consecrated from birth because he will be a savior. What she actually says to her husband sort of thing is a quid pro quo. Uh, we're getting a child because he's going to be a Nazir. Almost as if this these restrictions are the exchange for us having a child. But she misses out the national dimension totally. What's the notion of that? What's the idea of missing out the whole national dimension of Shimshon's uh, story? I can't resist but now say that's going to be one of the big questions with Shimshon. How much is he aware of his national dimension? How much is he willing to live up to his national dimension? The story now takes on something of a parody because the husband doesn't believe her. <laughs> Somebody says, I met a man in the field and now I'm pregnant. What do you think? So interestingly enough, Manoach turns to God and he says, please let the man come back, the Ish Elohim come back and tell us what we should do with the child. Strange prayer because he basically knows. And God indeed answers him. And once again, the angel comes to the woman, <laughs> the woman when she's alone in the field interestingly doesn't appear to him and she goes runs to her husband and she says the man's here and interestingly usually running you run when you're eager to do something he doesn't run he walks maybe he's insulted that the angel came to her and not to him Uriel Simon was of the opinion that he came to the woman because she's far superior um, I'm not sure that's the case but the interesting um, perush on this is that Rabroya, the woman's name is never mentioned in the story. She's always called Eshet Manoach, the wife of Banoach. And um, Rabroya always used to call him Ba'ala Shel Eshet Manoach, <laughs> the husband of Manoach's wife. Um, but he doesn't deserve a name either because 
he comes out sounding a little silly. He says to the angel, what we're going to do with this child? And the angel says, ask your wife. I already told your wife. Right. And then he says, let me give you, um, let me make you a gadi izin. Let me make you a, a goat as a, as a contribution. And he says, look, I won't eat from anything. And he says, what's your name? And he says, I can't give you my name. And then Manoch doesn't listen. And he makes a gadi izin and he brings a mincha. And uh, they're watching, they make it for the man. And when they start cooking it, when they put up the flame, what happens? He goes up in the flame heavenwards and suddenly they realize he's not an Ish Elohim, but in fact he is a Malach Hashem. And indeed the woman had hid all of this evidence. She not only hid the fact that he was going to save the people, but she hid the fact the purpose of this very long narrative is and maybe i will um i will i will give the approach which uh is is written up by eliasis professor eliasis and he said that exactly the drama of this chapter is can you see that the ish elohim is really a malach hashem can you see that somebody who gives you a message is really god is behind it it takes them a long time for the penny to drop to realize for the for, for Manoah to really accept the fact that this is not only maybe a prophet, but in fact he is a Malach Hashem, that this is really coming from God. And so this really beckons the question. We started the, our, our accounts with the fact that the people never cried out to God. They simply don't rate God as being part of the picture. After Shimshon manages to you know, defeat the Philistines once and twice and three times. Are the people then going to see this as a, an act of God? Are they like Manoach? They're simply going to not be willing to accept that this is divine? Or maybe they will. We'll talk about this some more tomorrow. Thank you for listening.